The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think, feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger, or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey, brothers, welcome back to the Liberation Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Regretis, and I'm speaking to you guys from Tucson, Arizona. I hope this voice recording finds you guys healthier and happier than I am. I'm just recovering from what was the worst illness I think I've ever experienced in my whole life. Uh, It was a severe case of the flu. And and I guess there's two types of people listening to this to this when they when they hear that 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 I had the flu and that it was difficult. The first person thinks, "Damn, what a pussy! Like, how could he get so sick from the flu?" Uh, and the second person, they understand, right? That is because the first person or the first type has never had flu before. They've only had a cold. I know because I was one of those people until about ten days ago. I'd hear about people dying from the flu, and I'd think to myself, that's pathetic. How could you die from something like that? And what I've realized is up until that point, I'd only ever just had colds, not the flu. And I totally get why people die from the flu. It is a horrific, horrific illness, and I do not wish it on anyone. But anyway, that just wanted to explain why my voice sounds a little bit strange, especially on the interview uh, I was struggling a little bit, truth be told, resisting the urge to cough. And so if that comes through on the interview, guys, I apologize. Today's guest is someone I haven't met in person, but I instantly took a liking to the guy and I could instantly sense that he's OG and he's, he's he has wisdom. He's onto something. You know, one of the things I really hate is when people take advice from those who haven't achieved anything, right? Like my dad and I were discussing something the other day. Uh, I was talking to him about his health, right? I was trying to get him to stop drinking whiskey. And then he tells me about (laughs) his buddy who is the unhealthiest man I think I've ever met in my life. He's overweight, out of shape, just generally not a specimen on any level. And he starts telling me, oh, well, my friend Steve says I should do this. And I I just had to stop and say, okay, dad, why are you taking his advice? What what makes him qualified to give you advice? Is he in shape? My dad's like, no. And I'm like, is he healthy? No. And so that's the way I live my life. Like if I'm going to take advice from someone in a specific field, I want to see what they've done in that field. You know, like if if I want to take advice on money, I want to see, I want to know roughly how much money this guy has. Or if I want advice on relationships, I want to see this guy's happy, healthy relationships, you know, like I, and I think that's very, very important. Um, and the thing with Peter is that, you know, he's, he's speaking to us in today's episode about health and the guy's almost 50 years old and he's a specimen. He's very healthy, right? He's in shape. He's a jujitsu black belt. He looks healthy. He looks well. And so I'm going to listen to what he has to say, right? And I strongly recommend you you live your life using that maxim, right? When someone talks a talk, pay very close attention to how they've been walking the walk. And so uh, today's guest, Peter Lakatos, is, you'll, you'll hear it. You'll hear it. This guy, he's onto something. He's a, an expert in physical training and physical culture. He's a fantastic coach. He's based in Hungary. He understands the Buteco uh, breathing system, which is a high-level breathing system um, that helps you get the most out of respiratory function. He's a kettlebell expert. He's a jiu-jitsu black belt, high-level coach, and just a a great human being. And I think you guys are going to get a lot out of this particular episode. Before we dive into it, as usual, I just want to remind you guys of a few things. The first is if you're enjoying the show, please head on over to iTunes and leave a review. It really helps. The second is if you've been feeling the call to partake of plant medicine, in particular ayahuasca, and you're looking for the first event that you want to do it at, I'm putting on an event in May in Joshua Tree in California that's going to be extremely powerful and extremely transformative. 
Keep in mind that ayahuasca is a tool and that means it takes wisdom and insight to get the most out of it. A lot of people decide that they want to do ayahuasca and then they just go away for a retreat. They have no preparation. Uh, they have no, they're not given any insights on how to navigate that experience properly. And then the worst part of all is they're not given any integration uh, help afterwards. And so the experience is largely wasted. When you drink ayahuasca with me at this event, I'm going to take you through it from the beginning to the end. And it is going to be a truly transformative experience that's going to change your life in ways you cannot even imagine. Also, guys, you guys know I do one-to-one -one coaching. I've had great success with my clients over the last year and a half. Everyone who works with me gets results. So if you're struggling with parts of your, your life, including your health, your career, your relationships, I can help you or there's a large chance that I can help you. And the best thing to do is head on over to my site, liberationmentor.com to find out more about my one-to-one -one coaching and this retreat. And you can apply there for a call with me in which I'll discuss those things with you. There's no obligation. Uh, we'll talk about what's, what's bothering you and what you need help with. And I'll give you some insights into strategies that can help you there and then. And we'll also discuss whether you and I will be suited to working together. So if you want to find out more, head on over to liberationmentor.com. Okay, guys, before I start coughing my lungs out, without further ado, here is the episode with Peter Lakatos. Hey, brothers, welcome back to the show. I have with me a very interesting and unique individual named Peter Lakatos, who is currently in Hungary and is an expert in all sorts of disciplines, including breathing. Apparently, we don't just breathe. We have to breathe in a, a very special way to get the most out of it. And he knows all about that. He's also a jiu-jitsu black belt. He's also a Krav Maga expert and also a kettlebell expert, amongst other things. You, you, you're also a specialist in human movement. What else, Peter? Have I covered everything? Um, I think that's enough, right? Yes. <laughs> For sure. I mean, it's, I, I love speaking to people like you who have got, you know, like a, it's not only do they have a deep pool of knowledge, it's also like a broad pool of knowledge. You know, they know a lot of different things. And I think that that's where that's where truly remarkable human being human beings are created is when they have both width and depth, you know, which is clearly something you have. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. So I guess we'll start. I mean, yeah, we, we had a conversation you and I about a year ago, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion that when it comes to physical training for health and fitness, that most of the systems out there are, downright if they aren't non-effective they're downright harmful that's that's my mm -hmm. current current belief like is there anything that most that you feel that most people are getting totally wrong when they go to work out or, mo or in any or most systems are getting totally wrong yeah it's it, you know what i i'm working with a lot of trainers and we educate trainers and and one of the the, the biggest problem is we assume people move okay so so basically, we just prescribe them uh, exercises, pretty much blank, mm -hmm. without understanding uh, what is their own movement foundation. And then we are surprised that they, they, they come back, or they don't come back, because they have overuse injuries. Okay. So that's, that's definitely a big bummer. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's like a one, most fitness systems are adopting a one size fits all and not taking into account that every, each individual has a, a history and a certain physiology, which mm -hmm. presents certain challenges. And, and you can't just like say to every person, okay, it's time to do 200 kettlebell swings because for some people they've been sitting for so long, the tissues in their back have degenerated and doing a, a movement that loads the lumbar spine is probably the worst thing for them at that point. Or, I mean, that's just some example I made up. Is, is that the kind of thing you're talking about? It's, it's pretty much it. Yeah. It's, if, you, if you talk to trainers, normally they, they conversation. And I, I was basically also one of them. So I'm, I'm not trying to you know, point fingers because mm -hmm. I also have to point fingers at myself. But, but normally uh, they talk about reps and sets and exercises. Mm -hmm. So this is where, you know, most conversations are, oh, and muscles, like, you know, which muscles you're trying to target. Okay. So these are the conversations, but, but what we are missing is bef before there was an exercise, there was a movement. Hmm. So for example, in our head, squat is first a movement and then 
and exercise. And if I treat it that way, then there are principles of movement. So I just cannot make somebody squat uh, and and hoping, you know, well, you know, it's a basic human movement and everybody should be squatting or deadlifting or or whatever, name it. That's not the right not, not not the right way to teach movements, especially in a in a society when people are not moving. And as you said, you know, they're sitting like what 12 hours maybe. So we created an environment and we know that environment is is creating uh, adaptation load on the body. So of course they will adapt. Sure. And and what are those adaptations? I mean, I'm guessing they're mostly negative adaptations that occur when someone spends a long time sitting. Yeah. So so basically, you know, every adaptation in the human body is actually positive if you think about it, because every single adaptation is for survival. Mm-hmm. So from the body perspective or the central nervous system perspective, this everything is positive, but the outcome is not really positive. So basically, we create a structure which will be not uh, reasonable to load, but you know, let's say it's it's uh, beginning of the year, and I have some extra kilo of fat on me, and I have this urge to lose it. So I start doing something, which whatever magazine is offering, from running sure. to high intensity interval training, it doesn't really matter. So I'm loading the very structure which is which was designed for movement, but as it is right now, probably it's not. And uh, so what I'm I'm saying, you know, that we don't have. Well, actually, we have, but we don't use it. The pre-screening method, like you know, before I prescribe any exercise to you, let me see how the movement base is is working out for you. And if it sure. doesn't, if it doesn't, and most likely it doesn't, because you're sitting twelve hours, then it's my responsibility as a coach to take you through uh, maybe corrections. Uh, or maybe if, if if the movement is painful, maybe I have to send you to uh, an expert who can deal with that because now it's pain. It's not me anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a totally different way of thinking about things. I, I really, I really appreciate that that perspective you have and the angle you you approach it with. So I guess my next the next thing that comes to my mind is what are the what are the basic movement patterns that all human beings should be able to do, and that ultimately you'd want to start exercising. Mm-hmm. Uh, but first, obviously, you, you get the movement pattern on, and then you add a load, which is the exercise. But what are, I'm guessing squatting is one. So the squat will be basically, if you see the, it, they call it the ontogenesis, which is basically the how the the baby is learning to move from doing basically almost nothing, just taking breath and uh, and turning the head, you know, uh, looking for mommy, from uh, up to basically let's say sprinting. Okay, so that's. Mm-hmm. That, that, that the two ends probably so yeah squat is pretty much at the end of the spectrum and at the beginning pretty much you know reaching which is I'm, I'm i'm reaching for something this is again looking for the mother or trying to reach for a toy lifting up the leg maybe turning rolling uh, as mm-hmm. a spinal roll and then we can talk about like uh uh being on a on a forearm uh being on uh, on uh, almost like basically, I, I know you are a big fan of uh, Turkish get up, right? Mm-hmm. So think about Turkish get up. So Turkish get up is pretty much uh, a summary of the the human evolu- evolution of human movement. Yeah, the mind source of of the ontogenesis or how the baby is at the end is on the foot. Interesting. That is absolutely fascinating to me. I've always, I mean, yes, I am a big fan because I just noticed there are so many natural movements that you make if you're doing the Turkish get up properly. And I didn't mm-hmm. really put it together that, yeah, you, there's the roll, like when a baby rolls onto its, from its side, onto its back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what, what, what would we take from there? Then there's that, excuse me, the sitting up. So then, then you sit and then you go into like, uh, call it a tripod position. You go to a half kneeling position, mm-hmm. which is you know you can call it a lunge if you think okay. about. And is that a, a natu- is that one of the movement movements that, that you guys test as well? And it's exactly because kneeling and half kneeling. Think about this one: kneeling and half kneeling is part of the of the the whole mindstones concept. Because you know when you're kneeling half kneeling, it's basically normally you have a uh, a table around you as, as a baby, and mm-hmm. you grab the table and, and it helps you to stand up. And normally mm-hmm. the first steps are sideways and not forward and backwards mm-hmm. because you go on the table, 
right? So, so, so these are the movements. And uh, but but if you check the uh, the other way around, this is very close. We can talk about movements as like Paul Czech was talking about, or Dan Jones is talking about. Like you know, squat is one of them. Hinging, which is like a deadlift pattern. Mm-hmm. We can talk about the push pull pattern. We can talk, which is like you know, can be bench press in a way. It okay. can be a pull up. Uh, we can talk about carry. So carrying something it can sure. be symmetric or symmetric, the former walk. And uh, we can talk about rotation and anti-rotation, which is again, you know, uh, part of most sports. As in twi- twisting, twisting, and then resisting Correct. against the twist. Correct. And, and we know that, you know, just because we can, we see a movement that doesn't mean we should train the movement. So just an example, just because we see that in certain times, the lumbar is is rotating or the lumbar is going into mm-hmm. uh, extension that doesn't mean we should train those patterns but most probably we are much better if you if we train the completely opposite so anti-rotation and uh, maybe anti-fraction anti-extension so that's this is how we train it that makes that makes that makes sense to me and i find that absolutely fascinating so then then it's a movement and 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 again you know the benefit of movement-based training is simply uh, durability. So did you say durability? Exactly. It's no good being the strongest guy in the room if you can't walk properly or if your shoulder's messed up or... Exactly. You know, I mean, for like the, it's interesting because I, I read a book which formed my opinion for, for um, all sorts of um, training, which is called The Science of Sports Training by Tom Kurtz. Um, mm-hmm. And he he gave me the distinction, which I never understood or not the distinction, the, the fact he said the, the purpose, the primary purpose of strength training is not to get stronger. It's injury prevention. And the secondary function is to get stronger. And most people exactly. don't. Yeah. Which that really made me think like a, a lot of guys just think, you know, it's just about throwing around heavy weights, but it, it's not, it's about preparing your body and making it, as you said, durable. And then you can build the muscles or the, uh, you know, the more fancy stuff, I guess. Exactly. And, and the other very important thing is that uh, the, the, the training, especially if it's accessory training, it has a purpose. And one of them is uh, injury prevention, or we can make, we can even say like uh, lowering the risk of injury. So probably that's, that's more scientific, to be honest, mm-hmm. because there's no such exercise which prevents any injuries, but I can always lower the risk, right? So that's probably more, you know, scientific. Mm-hmm. but definitely we have to draw the line how strong we want to be and how functional we want to be i think it also comes down to you know one of the things i i realized when i was training as a professional jiu-jitsu player i didn't really have a coach to help me with the supplemental training so i just kind of read books and, and did my own thing and one of the interesting principles i came upon is you should always ask whenever you're doing any exercise is the very simple question, why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. And which a lot of people don't do. They'll just start swinging a kettlebell and then they, they're like, it's why are you doing it? And they're like, oh, well, uh, this is what CrossFit prescribed for the workout of the day. But that, that to me, that's not enough. I need to know exactly like, what am I trying to correct? What am I trying to strengthen? What am I, what's my objective with, with this particular exercise? And also you, you said something really wise thing that, you know, many people said like, I'm training with kettlebells. Well, that's one thing, but what are you training with a kettlebell, right? <laughs> so, so how do you move with a kettlebell? What is the purpose of your training with the kettlebell? Uh, is there any better tool for that very, very purpose you are trying to reach other mm-hmm. than kettlebell? Maybe there is. Maybe barbell is better because you are going for maximum strength in deadlift. Maybe mm-hmm. kettlebell is not the best uh, main lift for you at that point. I'm saying this as a kettlebell guy, so you understand. Sure. And, and what what they call it, you know, what biomotor skills you are trying to to improve. Like, are mm-hmm. we talking about power? Are we talking about strength? Are we talking about, um, we call it, you know, repetitive sprint ability, so meaning mm-hmm. power endurance, uh, or just strict endurance we are talking about. Are we talking about mobility or, stabi- you know, so there are flexibility. Mm-hmm. So so there are all these biomotor skills that, that uh, we can affect with the training. So sure. what are we trying to reach? And and this is when and, and and maybe kettlebell is you know very versatile for for most of them, but maybe not the best option if you want to be uh, superior only in one. Sure, yeah. For if for specialization, it might not be 
Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, oh, you just sound like the kind of guy that I'd just love to come spend a couple of days at your facility learning from you. I know it would just completely expand my my understanding of not only the body but that would be fun. Human that would be fun. We could yeah. do some jitsu. I could learn from you. That would be awesome for sure. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's going to happen for a long time because I promised myself no more traveling for a while. But yeah, okay, maybe we could get you over to the states or something. That that could be really fun. I will as well. be in the states this year about twice. Yeah. Great, great. I'm going to make it a plan to come meet you wherever you are. Cool, cool. So I guess the, the next thing, because I really want my listeners to have some actionable advice, and I think a lot of what we've been discussing might go over some people's heads, or it's it's a little bit vague, especially if you don't have an, an interest in it and you just want to get in shape or you just want to you know, get stronger. So maybe an easier way to, to, to phrase or, or to get some of your wisdom out of you is to just ask like, can you think of any exercises that no one should be doing that are just detrimental and, and they just should be avoided? So anything which is basically making the lumbar spine rotating mm-hmm. or, or repetitive flexion extension for the, 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 again, the very lower part, the lumbar of the spine, I think that that is a very uh, goofy selection for exercises. Mm-hmm. So, so for example, like sit-ups are probably not the best ideas. Oh, I see. And probably uh, they call it the Russian twist. You know that exercise. Yes, you know exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's probably uh, a very bad choice of movement because you are doing actually uh, a flexion and uh, rotation. Rotation. Wow. So, if I may interrupt you, um, Peter, just while I am on this train of thought. Because you've stimulated something in my mind, you know, a lot of my my audience are going to be jujitsu guys, and mm-hmm. is this why a lot of guys, jujitsu guys, get lower back issues because they're putting when they do a, a, a back roll or they play mm-hmm. like um, an inverted guard or they barambolo or anything like that, they're putting that lumbar spine into repeated flexion. Yes. So this could be it because again, um, some people's spine are very bendy and stretchy, and 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 you can turn it. You know, you know these people; they're very annoying, and they would have, never have any issues with their spine. But but some mm-hmm. others have different spine structures. So so as uh, Professor McGill is talking about them, you know, some people has uh, spine as an as an oak. And, and but some people has really really bendy structure, and these mm-hmm. these are the people are you know never have any problems. But the, the oaks, you know, when they break, they break. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And, and and that's that's definitely a problem. And and also the other things, you know, that when they trying to pick up a style, let's say so now we are talking about uh, BJJ, pick up a style which is not fitting to the uh, structure, the the physiology or morphology or or any of those. And they do it because because you know somebody else is doing a big star is doing you know okay and and then and then it takes some time until they figure out like like even though they skill wise they started to master the skill but they start to pay the price of it so you know sure. some of the herniation of the neck or yeah. the lumbar so these are very typical and and, and we see you know as a we see different kind of. Uh, injuries with different uh, life cycle of of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning, you know, there you will see a lot of uh, small joint injuries because you know they are running around, they grab everything very strong, so the fingers, and the toes as well, toes, yeah, the toes. So you know because they are, you know, fighting frantically, uh, and this is these are typical uh, problems up to blue belts, and then somehow you have like almost nothing, You're just cruising around and like, oh, that's pretty cool, you know. I kind of like it. And around brown belts, people start to get herniation, mm. and this is when you get start to get overuse injuries. Interesting. This is my experience. What do you think? No, I think you're totally, totally right. I just had never thought about it that way. That yeah, that there's a different different stages of, of injury presentation according to the person's how long they've been in the game. Because, I mean, obviously the repetitive strains is cumulative, right? So you keep doing the same movement over and over again. Then your body starts to adapt in a certain way. And, yeah, some things become overly developed and then other things suffer as a result. And then ultimately there's a weak link formed in the in the body's chain that breaks, right? Mm-hmm. 
And, and two more things, which is very important. First of all, again, most of our BJJ guys, and I'm sure pretty much true for, for, you know, for the States too, that, mm-hmm. you know, they come from the office, most of mm-hmm. them. And, and so they don't, they don't move. They're not active. And even if they, they move when they come to BJJ, they move a lot, they're very intense, you know, because they, they go into flow states. So they just go for like 40, 50 minutes straight. And, and their movement is not there. Their posture is not there. And their breathing mm. is not there. So, so again, if your breathing and your posture is not optimal, then this, this will not get miraculously cured when you go on the math. Sure. So you, you take it with you. And, and of course, you know, in training, everything is, is pretty much physics and biology, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. so they will break. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It is what it is. So, so that's the reason that, you know, we always tell our guys that, you know, if you, first of all, durability for you is the key. Uh, when you are 20 years old, 30 years old, well, you know, you don't think about it. You want to win. I'm going to be 50 yeah. very soon. So, you know, I don't want to win. Uh, you know, I just want to have the next 30, 40 years be able to, to train, to be honest. So that makes total sense to me. Yeah, and, and the Russians always said, you know, if you want to build the best athlete, you need durable athletes. Why? Because a durable athletes will be able to train with high frequency, meaning every day, maybe twice a day. Sure. And, and if you want to build the athlete, frequency is the best builder for the athlete, not intensity and not volume. Hmm, that's so, so, so interesting because one of the, you know, I've been working with, my new thing now is I don't, I don't really set hard goals like i don't say i have to make x amount of money this year or i have to do this or climb this mountain whatever it might be my new thing is i just i pick themes um for the year so Mm -hmm. and then i just try to embody those themes as much as i can i just so the theme i picked for this year is consistency beats intensity Mm -hmm. which is kind of aligned with what you've just said Uh and i think that that's what happens with a lot of people when they want to get in shape as well specifically when it comes to exercise they start at the beginning of the year and they're like okay i'm gonna get in shape so they go to the gym like five times a week for two weeks at a very high intensity and then they burn out or they injure themselves or something happens whereas the guy who you know starts slow and maybe he goes twice a week i mean he might get through the whole year right and then Mm -hmm. real change i agree but yeah that's such a fascinating when you mentioned the Russians and their focus on durability, when I was studying sports science, what I realized through my research, I realized that the Russians were decades ahead of anyone else. In, and in and their... it has many reasons, if you think about it. So, so first of all, you know, they treated the Olympics and pretty much every uh, games as a chance to, to fight against the West to prove their points, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, quite frankly, you know, Scientifically, they are, I would say, you know, very strict. That's that's my uh, opinion. So they are not less stricter than than the Western scientists. But let's talk about you know like ethical issues. They didn't have much, so they could <laughs> right. So so they could basically research stuff that you know Western scientists would never because of moral issues. Sure. So they. And, and, and what uh, a Russian scientist told me, you know, there is two science, there is the Western science and there is Russian science. <laughs> and it's uh, like, you know, we, uh, before the, the change, you know, sharing uh, Russian science, which is secret, mm-hmm. could, uh, could mean that you end up in gulag. Mm. So I was like, oh, that's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, I find that fascinating. It, it, what I read is that, Sport was in Russia. There were there was like I think five or six pillars of propaganda, and sport was one of them. So the government really invested heavily. I mean, in sports were taken far more seriously than they were taken in the West, and they were they were treated. They, they were they, their programs were just a lot more robust and detailed, and they knew that yeah, as you said, that's how they can prove themselves against the West. Well, I'm one of the product of the, that system, if you think about it, because you know, Hungary was a communist country. And if you think about the Olympic medals, if you count all the Olympic gold medals, Hungary, which is 9.7 million people, we are on we are not 12 on the uh on the list. Oh wow, did not know that. So, so think about it. yeah, it's so it's pretty amazing, right? 
Why? Because, you know, that was one way to prove that, you know, we are way ahead of the West. Mm-hmm. So there was no money spared on, on, on this. So basically, you know, they went to schools, they picked up talents, and that's, that's how I started. Absolutely amazing. So, Peter, I guess there's not really enough time for you to go into detail uh, and, and for people to really get wisdom out of you that need to go and spend, I guess, several weeks with you. But the guys listening here, again, they always want actionable advice. So maybe you can condense some of that, that knowledge you have. And let's look at it. There's usually three different things that, that men want when it comes to their physicality. The first is they want to lose fat, right? Mm-hmm. Which is closely related to the other one. Uh, they want to gain muscle. Those are both, I guess, sure. could be considered the same thing. They want to improve their body composition. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, they want to get uh, uh, strong, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe for a sport or whatever. And then thirdly, they want to be fit and healthy. So if we look at those three things, like body composition, strength, and health, like let's say if you had to give one piece of advice for each of those, or one suggestion for each of those desired outcomes, what would they be? Sure. So, so if you want to to lose body fat, mm-hmm. my first advice would be, uh, frankly, fix your circadian rhythm. Hmm. So that's number one. It's you know stop uh, uh, strict dieting and count your cal- calories and everything. I mean, you tried it. It you know it's it does it works, but it takes so much time and effort. So you will fail. Mm-hmm. So fix your circadian rhythm. Can you go into that a little, a little bit more when you say fix your circadian rhythm? I mean, it's, it's my understanding that's that's a natural body's cycle that, that pertains to sleep and waking. Yeah. So basically, you know, try to get as much natural light as possible. Mm-hmm. Try to sleep as much as you need. So fix your your, your uh, sleeping, to be honest. Okay. That's the next thing. Start to use pretty much everything. The body loves to do everything at a certain time. Mm-hmm. So, so try to use uh, these these uh, inputs as regulating your body. Okay. Meaning food, training, uh, sleep, uh, light, mm-hmm. and to synchronize uh, your body. So, because when when your sleep will be uh, fixed, then the whole body will start to move uh, and start to work as it's designed. Wow. I mean, that's such a, an amazing piece of advice that I totally didn't expect you to say. And it, it's so, so different to the usual paradigm, which is, okay, well, you're going to have to adjust your macronutrient ratios and you're going to have to do X amount of anaerobic training. And, and that just came, I, I totally didn't expect that. It did adjust your circadian rhythm. You know what? 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I would say that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And, and I would think like I did a pretty good job. But now I have clients who in uh, eight month and 12 month, they lost 44 kilo wow. just from fixing the, the circadian rhythm. Wow. Just from basically making sure they, they keep about uh, eight to 10 hours uh, feeding window, mm-hmm. uh, going to sleep in time, waking up in time, having seen the sun uh, come up and go down. Mm-hmm. And uh, meaning, you know, the cortisol level got... The, the regulated, the insulin mm-hmm. level got regulated, and the body is resting about 18 hours without food. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the body started to lose weight, and they swear they are not eating different or less. Well, okay, so you say that, that uh, that's to me, I find that fascinating. You say that you should have a, did you say eight hour feeding window? Yeah. You know, How long was the feeding window you mentioned? Yeah, it's about eight hours. I mean, there are so many research came out in the last three years from, for example, Sachin Panda uh, from Salk Institute. And that, that research is just mind-blowing. So anybody who can Google his name and, and his research, just it will blow your mind. It doesn't okay. make sense, to be honest, but it does. So that would be my first advice. And, and that will definitely give you some muscles. Why? Because when you sleep better, you will go through four to five full uh, sleep cycles. So mm-hmm. that means you will get the maximum uh, growth hormone benefit when you're sleeping. Uh, okay. And and that's very important for for basically for for losing uh, body fat and making and gaining some muscles. 
your also your immune system will work. I mean, we know that if you are your sleep is off just one night, your immune system will lose seventy percent of its uh, performance. Well, that I did not that's know. Seventy percent. So that's ridiculous. And also that uh, that your insulin resistance just just losing one night's sleep. Uh, actually putting you by blood work it will show you are already insulin resistant just one night damn that's incredible so i've i've read uh, this you know i hear conflicting advice and conflicting people reference studies that have conflicting results and one of them is i've been told that intermittent fasting you know there's a reason your body's hungry when it wakes up and it's because it's stressed and the quickest way to relieve that that stress state is to eat something and, and that lowers your cortisol and going and, and maintaining that, that hunger and that stress state is actually not good for you. Now, how would you, what do you say to that? It's very logical to be honest. And I could agree with that. However, when you have a short window, let's say eight hours, mm-hmm. then you have to put the, 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 the feeding somewhere. Now here comes the social part of the, of the feeding, right? Which is family. Mm-hmm. So let's say if I have a family dinner at 6 p.m., then my first feed will be at 10 a.m. or later, right? Okay. Simply because I don't want to sit with my family, they're eating, and, I, and I'm not. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And uh, it only takes a few uh, weeks. You get used to it. Uh, to be honest, I was never a big eater at the, in the morning. And, and I feel, you know, most of the people who are eating breakfast are eating food that for thousands of years we never ate mm-hmm. but you know the companies went strongly into this the industry went into this and and trying to give you that you know the the, the breakfast should be the, the biggest and you know the most dense and 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 then the food they offering is is is, is basically junk to be honest mm-hmm. so it so do you want to eat in the morning yeah okay so have to grab some bacon and some eggs and you're you're done so that's eating something that doesn't create a lot of insulin uh, load. So you will be not hungry like two hours later. So that's, you know, if, if, if you control insulin, you control hunger. That's, that's pretty simple. Mm, that's, that's interesting. I'm going I'm to meditate on that. And, and if you sleep well, just one more thing. If you sleep well, you went through the cycles and everything is fine. You are not waking up really hungry. Because remember, just one night off is double uh, the chance to get insulin resistance. Uh, okay, yeah, that that makes total sense. Okay, so we got that, but that's body comp, and then um, let's say uh, just strength that someone wants to just get generally stronger. Mm-hmm. And, and and so first of all, the the good thing you know, if somebody comes to us and says, "I want to be stronger," that's awesome, right? Because then then they're on the right path. So I would say just just keep it simple as 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 simple as possible. Make sure you are you are not sparing money on on working with a with a coach, but you know with a coach who who understands your goal and who understands the business. So I'm a strong first uh, instructor working with uh, Pavel Tatulin. Mm-hmm. So I always tell people if you are if you want to learn uh, safe lifting kettlebell find a strong first instructor because you know they know what they do and and it's going to be safe and you're going to be you're going to be strong are you going to be powerlifting strong no you will not be powerlifting strong but you mm-hmm. will be pretty strong and that's sure. that's enough for most people so i would say like you know judge the trainers what they do before the training so don't judge them by how much pain damage or soreness they cause that doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. Uh, any, I'm sorry to say that, but any monkey can cause a soreness. Sure. Yeah. Just do, do volume, just increase the volume. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So the question is if they can cause result, but safe results. So are they using something like some, any kind of screening before? Again, if I prefer FMS, but if somebody is doing other screenings prior, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. But almost any screening is better than no screening. Sure. So, so make it sure it's safe and, and, and you are not doing something goofy because I'm, I'm working with people who are like 35 and 40 and they already had joint replacement, which is ridiculous. Yeah, that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Okay, cool. And then the third one is um, it just exercise for general health. I suppose all of these kind of overlap. Mm-hmm. 
but but it, like let's say someone's not really that concerned about getting big and strong, but they just want to go have a good workout that just improves their their physiology. What what do you suggest? Uh, can I have a little bit longer answer? Is it okay? Sure, of course. Okay, so so one of them is you know you see three camps now. One of them is the long steady cardio guys right mm -hmm. there is the strength guys you know powerlifting and etc and there is the high intensity interval guys and and these people are quoting their own researches like look you know i'm better than you mm -hmm. and 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 if you're really like a uh a system guy uh, a thinker if you're asking the why you have to step back and it's like you know what are you talking about right this is ridiculous mm -hmm. because you need all of all the three so mm -hmm. so Basically, uh, do I need a strong heart? Or, yeah, so long study cardio is pretty good. I know it's boring, but you know, if you do like, do a big walk, right? 30, mm -hmm. 40 minutes, twice a week, uh, go around, uh, well, it's based on your age, but let's say using methadone, method is basically 180 minus your age. This is the heart rate. Try to maintain that, maintain nose breathing while you are uh, doing this walk. And you're gonna have in three months amazing aerobic foundation. Mm -hmm. So, so this is one thing. Strength. Well, you know, two times or three times a week, you know, do something uh, like uh, for your strength, which is also uh, strength and hypertrophy, strength and power. Right. Mm -hmm. So these are very important because as you're getting older, you start to lose these capacities first. Mm -hmm. and and power you need so basically you know people are saying oh kettlebell swing is not safe well you know falling is not safe to be honest <laughs> so kettlebell swing is power and you need a quick feet if you are about to fall so if you are 70 years old 80 years old i mean go and learn kettlebell swing seriously or rope skipping mm -hmm. as my mom is doing you know so that's awesome because of of you know making strong bones and everything so that would be my my other answer, right? So yeah. all strength, power, power endurance. So so work, hypertrophy. Work on that because that's that's your ticket to live long life. Hypertrophy, like which means like muscle growth, right? Exactly. You need muscle. Yeah, you mm. need muscle. I mean, you know, we can say all the bad things about bodybuilders, but but they get this right. Sure. They, they go overboard, of course, but that's one thing. And the high intensity interval for, is not for beginners. So this is what you try to educate the trainers. Like, don't please don't use it for fat loss. This is ridiculous. Use diet for fat loss, not not training. Don't punish people. Right? This is this is crazy. Yeah, I've I've long I've long actually that's something like one of my my uh, pet peeves, I guess is, and I'm sure a lot of the guys listening to this do CrossFit, but. I really don't don't appreciate CrossFit. That's just the truth. I don't think it's a good system. I think that it causes more harm than good because there's this weird mentality. I mean, there's many things I think that are wrong with it. One of them is this mentality of like, you know, let's just keep going till we puke, right? And then keep going some more, right? It's like, it's all about intensity and grind and pushing through. And I think that people don't, one of the, the ways that people think of the body as a machine, right? They, like they, there's a lot of, talk about if you listen to the language it's like you're a machine and you've got to like operate at a higher level but i think that the body's much more similar i've used this analogy before in my show but the body's much more similar to a tree you know it needs a certain ratio of nutrients and sunlight and a certain environment to to be expressed properly and the problem with things like crossfit is that it does it comes from a completely different perspective it's like you are a machine that is designed to be ground down and then you come back stronger and to me it just doesn't make sense yeah, and and you know, hormesis is pretty good. So I many stress is really good, but but you have the stress has until to, until it's not right exactly, and and you have to uh, individualize that, and 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 this is what not happening in in many cultures. So when we talk about high intensity interval training, is it good? Sure. How often? Maybe you need it once a week. So for example, with the BJJ guys, I always tell them like the last thing you need is high intensity interval training. Because that's your rolling, so forget mm. about it. You don't need that. You need a strength training, which is on you know on, on, on one side, and you need the other side, which is basically aerobic training or long study mm -hmm. cardio, or name it. And you need movement, movement based training. So that's what you need because the rest you get it. But you need the high intensity interval because of your mitochondria, because you need to create some type of well, let's say damage signal to the mitochondria, so they will come out stronger. Sure. So this, this is very important. And 
And uh, what pretty much nobody's talking about, you know, you have to add the breathing. That's actually was going to be my next point. Is okay, go ahead. You're, you're an expert in, in, in um, several or a couple of different breathing methods now. You know, I've, I've had an interest, a passing interest, and I actually bought that book that you mentioned. I think it's called mm-hmm. the Buteyko Method. I'm going to be honest with you, Peter. I never got around to reading it. I, I lent it to a friend because he was very interested in it. Mm-hmm. Can you give us the Cliff's Notes on, on sure. breathing and how we should be doing it? Yeah, so, so one of the big misunderstandings about breathing is that, that you need more air. And because you need more oxygen and, and the, the paradox of it, it, it's, it sounds very logical, right? But the paradox is, is very simple. If you take a lot of breath, right, then, then that doesn't guarantee you get more oxygen to the tissues. Actually, it's, it's exactly the opposite because when you are hyperventilating, you're taking more air, what you need metabolically, then you are losing actually a lot of CO2, carbon dioxide. And carbon dioxide is is acting as 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 an agent to help the oxygen into the tissues. So, meaning if you are breathing out because of hyperventilation, the uh, CO two, you are not getting the oxygen which is carried in the in the blood to the tissue. Okay. So this is this is um, a physiological fact, right? This is called the Bohr effect. Now, most of the breathing systems is about, you know, like a lot of breathing, almost like hyperventilation, because you start to see things and you start to feel things, of course, because your body is about to shutting down. Of course, you see things. This is, a, this is the Wim Hof method is, is one example of that. Where it, you, it, it could be the Wim Hof. I'm not trying to pick on them because it's sure, do sure. a lot of things right. But uh, when people are misunderstanding what they're talking about, they they emphasizing very much the, the hyperventilation, right? Yeah, I've always, you know, I tried it a little bit, the, the that method of hyperventilation, and, and I always just, yeah, I felt kind of weird. I didn't I didn't really see the benefit that everyone was talking about. So, and I did start to see certain artifacts in my vision and get like a little bit lightheaded. And I'm guessing that was a response to the toxicity of oxygen overload, or, or how would you describe that? No, it's simply, you know, when, when you're, you don't have enough CO2 in the body, it's basically uh, the smooth muscles are constricting in the, in, in, in the brain as well. Wow. So basically, you start to lose uh, blood and so oxygen from the blood sometimes, uh, I mean, from the brain, sometimes uh, 50% you are losing. So of course, the, the, the central nervous system is about to shut down, saying like, you know, well, I don't know what you're doing, but let's restart. Or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you're doing, but you need to stop. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you better stop. So, so basically, you know, this is, you know, uh, think about this uh, in the old days when somebody had a panic attack, they simply give them a brown bag, right? On the mm-hmm. face, and they had to breathe in, breathe out, breathe in. And then you've, you've been rebreathing CO2. And then suddenly they feel good. Well, you know, that... If we see uh, current research data, especially from Brazil, uh, we see that uh, 55% of the children is uh, overbreeding, meaning hyperventilating. What does it mean? That means also hyperventilation and bad posture goes hand in hand. Yeah. And we see that on the street. So, so when you see a person, let it be a kid or adult, and then you see them uh, with a bad, a bad posture, mm-hmm. Bear in mind that most likely they have hyperventilation, so meaning uh, breathing disorder. Now, if they have breathing disorder, most likely they have sleeping disorder. Hmm. So these are, again, going hand in hand. So if they're having sleep disorder, they're having uh, regeneration problems, right? They're, they're having endocrine problems. They're having, meaning hormone problems, insulin problems, uh, leptin resistance, and etc. And... You just look at them and you see the posture and you can already start to see this whole story. Like, oh my gosh, these guys are, you know, how much, how far more they could reach, but they don't because they're breathing improperly, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the Buteyko system and oxygen advances system, which I'm studying and teaching, is pretty much giving the tool to the person to measure uh, to, and, and correct uh, these uh, deficiencies. Wow, that is absolutely fascinating to me. Yeah, I read a long time ago, I studied um, some of the work of a gentleman named Scott Sonnen, and he he had the formula M- MBP, you know what I mean? Yeah, so mm-hmm. an MBP stands for movement, breathing, and posture. And he said, if any one of these variables changes, the other two have to change. 
So mm-hmm. they're all interlinked. And I, I never really put it together. If you see someone with, because yeah, I, it's, it's, look, it's a characteristic of the elderly, right? They have terrible posture. They're usually hunched over, which mm-hmm. probably means that their respiration is affected, which means that their sleep is affected, which means they cannot regenerate their tissues properly, et cetera, et cetera. That's so interesting. And, and there is one thing, you know, first of all, again, you know, most people are already having the problem of breathing. So hyperventilating and they're having probably asthma, rhinitis, uh, sleep apnea, asthma. So, you know, the allergies. So these are pretty, you know, th- these things are happening. So that's one thing. But but we also see that when, when we work with high-level athletes who also have these problems. So, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much. Sometimes even worse than the average population. But... The human body is designed to meet with hypoxia. This is pretty amazing. This is what people don't understand yet because most doctors, for them, hypoxia is something horrible, right? And hypoxia means uh, lack of oxygen, right? Lack of oxygen. And, and, and chronically, that means, oh my gosh, you know, like, you know, it's horrible. Even, you know, some are talking about, you know, how lack of oxygen, meaning hypoxia, is one driver of cancer. Right. So, but very interesting when you talk about chronic stuff, that's horrible. When you talk about acute stuff, it's amazing because when you do uh, acute hypoxic training, we call it intermittent hypoxic training, then you are actually creating better blood flow. So, meaning regeneration, even uh, healing of injuries are faster mm-hmm. just from breathing. Uh, your antioxidant system, internet antioxidant system, which is stronger than anything you can take. So forget about the Siberi. I'm sorry about that. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I know a lot of BJJ guys are listening to that, so probably mm-hmm. they're not happy for that. But but internal uh, antioxidant system can be uh, boosted by hypoxic training, by a lot. So can you give me an example of, of how uh, what hypoxic training would look like? Uh, okay, so basically, uh, let's say, uh, let's say, you are uh, breathing out, easy, not, not hard, but easy. You pinch your nose and you start walking, okay? And you start to feel the first urge of air hunger, right? Mm-hmm. And, but you don't stop, but you start to walk faster. So you feel again something like, oh, it's getting stronger. You start to probably run and at the end maybe sprint, right? So now you, you, you do it until you can. And no worries, you will not pass out or anything. You will stop very soon, okay? But the carried oxygen in the blood from 99%, which is normal, will go down probably to, well, 81. And that simulating like you are on about 3,005 to 4,000 meters high. Mm. So that gives... Uh, a message to your body through a different pathways that there is no oxygen. So the you body make more red, to red blood cells. Exactly. So basically, you believe it or not, everybody knows about EPO, right? Mm-hmm. So EPO is big because, you know, especially the bicyclists and everything. So with seven or eight breath holds like this, what I just said, you can, you can improve your EPO. So grab your chair by 24%. Wow, that's incredible. It's crazy. And this is just one thing. This is just one thing, which is a very short, uh, let's say 10, 10, 15 minutes window, time window. Mm -hmm. Like you can reach a lot more stuff, which is your antioxidant system, which is, uh, you know, uh, mitochondrial uh, density, mitochondrial uh, strength, meaning efficiency. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So these will be also upregulated. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah, that is absolutely incredible. I had no idea. I've got to get that book back from my buddy and read it. Exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, look, it's it's what's that? There's an interesting. Uh, I heard a while back. This guy said, "You can survive a few weeks without food. You can mm-hmm. survive several days without water, but you can't survive a couple of minutes or three minutes without air." Mm-hmm. Right. So it's. Yes. It's something, and something that we, and look, we all, all of us, well, most of us are so focused on that particular, the nutrition component of health. But, exactly. But the breathing component is probably more important. Yeah. Right? I mean, think about this. 
you know, we all, all talk about food, but I mean, the longest fast in history documented, scientifically documented, was 382 days. Did you know that? Wow. I did not know that. That dude lost 75 kilo. Okay. So he was like an obese person and he ended up like about 80 kilo. So, okay. Right? So he had, so, he had some fat stores to, to feed him. He, okay. he had nothing but fat stores. Exactly. Okay. But, but you know, that, but that's extreme. But, you know, but again, it's, it was more than a year. Right. Mm. So, but how many people are talking about breathing and, and well, just to make you understand when we are working with people who are type two diabetes, right. Mm-hmm. So diabetics. And, uh, after like we, we work with them like two, three, four weeks with buteco breathing, many times we have to send them back to the, to the doctors to, to re-prescribe, meaning lowering their dose of medication because suddenly, uh, the, the glucose is taken up with less insulin that's fascinating so so that's pretty good and just if you let me just i say one more thing i have uh, a very champion uh transplant uh runner Mm -hmm. uh, in hungary and he he looked for me to work with him because uh of his kidney failure and because of that his his blood pressure was 200 by 110 okay so you can imagine, like he had an uh, amazing headache and just he was, you know, really uh, in a horrible condition. After three weeks of botanical breathing, his uh, blood pressure went down to 110 per 70 Jeez. without medication. That's incredible. No headache. And that was, again, just nothing but breathing exercises. That's absolutely wild. So, yeah. So when you see these things pretty much daily in our practice, you start to believe that you know there is you know there is some power in these breathing exercises. Yeah, I mean, I, I can believe it, right? Like, uh, it just blows my mind how how little I know about it, and I really need to read that book, Peter. It's always a pleasure to speak to someone like you who just expands my perceptions of what's possible for human performance and excellence. And um, I thoroughly appreciate your time. If the people listening want to connect with you, where should they go? Well, they can find me on Facebook pretty much. And, and uh, you know, I don't think I am the guy who should tell what to do. So, you know, I have all my friends from different communities. Can, can I name them? Is it okay? Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so, so I would say like, you know, go to strongfirst.com and find the best kettlebell instructors uh, in the world, in my opinion. Look for people who are able to screen you before training one of the style or method called functional movement system mm-hmm. and these are my teachers so i'm working with them for years and and definitely check out uh, if you're looking for performance look at look for uh, oxygen advantage mm-hmm. which is uh which is basically the breathing system i was talking about and okay. uh, and i think bjj guys could benefit from it tremendously I'm sure they could. I'm sure they could benefit from everything you've just described. But man, thanks again so much for your time. It it really does mean the world to me. And um, I'm sure everyone listening as well is just going to be blown away by this incredible wisdom you've shared with us. Thank you, sir. I I really appreciate you inviting me. So I'm very thankful for that. Thank you. I'm sure you guys can very quickly pick up that Peter was the real deal. And I hope you enjoyed that. You know, what I consider to be a pretty knowledgeable human being when it comes to health and well-being. I don't have any official qualifications. I'm not a doctor or uh, a physiotherapist or nutritionist or anything like that, but I have been studying since a very, very young age and consuming a shit ton of information, but also testing stuff because it's not enough to just read. You have to test these things in the lab and the lab is life and the equipment that you're testing on is your, your own body. And take it from me when I tell you that Peter, uh, what he shared in that episode is is true wisdom, right? Don't fall for the hype. Don't think that you've, just because everyone and their dog is doing CrossFit, that that's the thing you need to do. Or because everyone's doing the Wim Hof method, that's what you need to do. Like research for yourself, ask deeper questions. Don't jump on the bandwagon when it comes to your health. It's a very, very important thing. I think very few people, uh, take seriously they just sure i always say it's your health is your responsibility but that doesn't mean that you don't go to the doctor and you just jump on the first health bandwagon that that rolls along you've got to really research and educate yourself and increase your knowledge 
when you when you want to become someone's in charge of their own health and the captain of their own their own physical ship. So please keep that in mind. And also, uh, you can trust me when I say Peter is onto something. Look into the methods that he teaches. They're very very powerful and very effective. At least that's been my experience with them. Okay, guys, I hope you have a fantastic week. And we'll be back soon with another episode of the show. Until then, love and light.